Today on Farming Together, I speak to Phil Schumark and Dave Ellis of Braidwood Garlic Growers Cooperative. With a grant deadline looming, the group formed a cooperative very quickly. Members have since benefited from the co-op's marketing strength and greater access to a growing market. Phil and Dave speak about the importance of finding people with different strengths to drive the co-op and why people skills are critical. You're listening to the Farming Together podcast. Farming Together, a podcast series exploring how farmers, fishers and foresters can establish collaborative business models and co-ops that address current economic and environmental challenges. With your host, Amanda Scott. Farming Together is created in collaboration with Southern Cross University's Farming Together program. So perhaps we'll just start really introducing uh, yourselves and telling us a little bit about first what you do, but also your role in uh, the Braidwood Garlic Growers Co-op and how you came to be there. And Phil, you're first on my screen, so I'll open up to you. Okay. I've lived in Braidwood most of my life. I started as a stock and station agent here, ended up real estate. Retired from that about 10 years ago and just concentrated on farming. I've got a few farms and um, quite enjoy the, the land, of course, born and bred on the land. The garlic thing was sort of a bit of a thing. I was, I was rung up by Georgina Burns and said, oh, we'd like you to be the non-garlic grower president of, or chairperson of the Garlic Growers Association. Sucker me, you can't say no, even though it's only two letters and yes, it's three. Then, yeah, right. But, you know, I, I quite enjoyed the, the interaction with the committee and I've actually started growing some garlic this year and I think it's, it's a great little hobby, you know. I mean, I don't need the extra work. <laughs> I quite enjoy it. It's a bit like fishing. It's something different. It can be relaxing, even though there's a bit of hard work in it. But no, I've learned a lot and I quite enjoy it. Fantastic. What made Georgina call you up? Oh, she knew I was a sucker. Must have been a bit more in it. Oh, well. She's aware of Phil's extensive skill sets. Oh, uh, yeah. Mm. The answer I think he meant to give. Mm. Oh, no, I've been on a few committees around them. And the town and that sort of thing. Um, if I recall, Phil, you were you were part of the land care group, weren't you? Which yeah, which still was actually responsible for the original organisation. Yep. Yeah, I'm vice president of the local land Upper Shalhaven Land Care Council, which overrides probably about 25 land care groups. So that's been a bit of an interesting journey. I've been in that for 20 odd years with catchment management and all the rest of it. Regenerative farming is another thing I'm interested in. But I've always said, you know, I've seen farmers around here drive around in their $70,000 land cruisers with a dog on the back and wonder what they do all day. When I was working as a stock and station agent, I had farms as well, and I do just as much on the farm as they do all week in my spare time. But I reckon garlic's a good a good option. I always said raspberries or something like that, you know, keep them occupied in something different. But um, garlic, I think, is a great one for here. That's going to be our next project. Braidwood Raspberry Growers Group. But I am, oh yeah, raspberries, yeah, the raspberry co-op next. But I am starting, Phil, to get a sense of why you were asked to be involved in this and I, I'm sure we will tease out some more of your skills and expertise as we go forward. But Dave, what about you? Uh, tell us a bit about yourself. I'm a tree changer, I guess. I've escaped from corporate life in, um, oh, originally in the UK, but more recently in, um, in Sydney. I'm an accountant by training. Yeah, just had the opportunity to, for a bit of a, a bit of a tree change, and we landed up in in Braidwood five years or so ago. Certainly, for the last couple of decades, I've had quite an interest in in 
the land, what is now called regenerative farming, but all the kind of predecessors to that. When we were new to the area, the original garlic growers group had been running for a little while under the auspices of um, the land care. And that was one of the um, areas where we thought, well, that's a chance for us to find some integration into the local community. Obviously, Braidwood area is only a couple of thousand people, a relatively small town, which is fantastic. But it's important to try and integrate yourself with the community if you're going to spend a fair bit of time here. You don't want to feel isolated. I've met a lot of um, fabulous people through the garlic growing process, to be honest. And because I'm an accountant I and from business, I had, I had what I believed to be some relevant skills in terms of moving the organisation from the land care group as it was when they're funding and into a, a commercial organisation or at least a more registered organisation as the um, cooperative. So, so what was the was the catalyst for starting this about social cohesion? I mean, Dave, you said you, you wanted to connect with the community. So do you know what the original impetus was for forming the group in the first place? One of the primary interests in that and part of the reason that grant funding was available was it was seen as an opportunity to improve the um, economic situation for local growers and just for the rural community in general. Garlic is a crop which potentially grows, if you know what you're doing at least, grows quite well in this area. There's a couple of commercial growers in the area as well and they were extremely open to becoming involved in terms of advice, thoughts on the various aspects of growing on on a larger scale. That was really the, um, the impetus the funding for those for that land care grant came to an end the farming together program was either starting up or had started up actually if i recall correctly it was actually bronwyn who who kind of realized the potential for maybe accessing some more funding and that funding required a more formalized organization i guess than the, um, the land care group was able to provide and after investigating various options around expenses and suitability, it seemed like the co-op was the ideal, the ideal option. I think that the growers group, I think, had 30 or 40, maybe 40 or 50 members at the time. Approximately half of those, half to two thirds of those migrated into the co-op when we finally got it set up. That was just towards the end of 2017. I think it was the second round of funding from the Farming Together programme. The funding there was, was to put together a um, business plan for the co-op. If I remember back to that time, uh, it was actually quite an interesting time because as part of the requirements to be a grant recipient, it had to be a formal entity and you sort of had the idea of wanting to form a cooperative, but there was actually a real push to form that cooperative in a hurry to receive the grant funds, I think. And I imagine that it was quite a stressful time for the group. <laughs> It was. I mean, coming from a coming from a commercial background that I did, it wasn't uh, it wasn't particularly stressful. It was it was kind of business as normal, which was a bit of a surprise. <laughs> but um, certainly there was a a fair amount of stress involved. But curiously, it was probably one of our major achievements as a co-op or as a group to date was actually making that happen. And I think because we had a clear objective about what we wanted to do or needed to do, and because we had some pretty specific deadlines in. I don't know, I can't remember if it was you, Amanda, or one of your colleagues who was very difficult trying to... Uh, that would have been... I imagine that would have been Sean. Sean or it myself? Was, it, was, <laughs> it, it was Sean, of course, yes. We, we, 
I'm sure we always <laughs> used to blame Sean. That's correct. She even came to visit visit us and left without too many um, bruises. I think that was a, a useful introduction, and it worked quite well. We had a, we had a very um, active uh, working group. Several of them are still are still either on the board or are actually involved. So I'm getting a sense that the idea of ultimate idea of the co-op was to provide some economic return. You know, whether it's for people who are pursuing. Uh, garlic growing from a hobby perspective or they're looking to diversify or or something like that but actually it was also really about like knowledge sharing collective marketing and that sort of thing as well yeah there was definitely a kind of a broad cross-section of growers from those who were wanting to be I, I guess commercial commercial could mean lots of things but there's a lot of small growers and if you're only growing like 100 or 200 kilos, that makes your marketplace is a bit challenging unless you actually want to go out, for example, and, and run a stall every week. And that comes with its, you know, an extra time commitment. So it was partly to try and provide, like most co-ops, I guess, a way to collaborate and get a collection of growers. So we had a volume to sell if we had a, some one or two larger, larger customers come to us, give us a bit of bargaining power. Lots of people like growing stuff, they like to be outdoors and what have you, but the marketing, you'd rather chew their arm off than have to go and make some phone calls, me being one of those, for somebody uh, to buy your But you had a good, stuff. sounds like you have a good skill set mix within the group. So there were people that were really good with marketing. You're the, you're the money person. Seal, it sounds like you're really experienced as an advisory position on the committee. Yeah, we've got a bit of, bit of talent there, that's for sure. Um, one of my secretary, David Dawes, he's um, from, the, from the banking sector, you know, and he's a, a tree changer too. He's got a, a, about a two-acre garden on a much bigger property than that too, but that's his main interest is um, vegetables. And he goes to the Sydney markets quite regularly with his own produce. As I say, he's got a great background in, in banking for 40 years or something like that. And like Dave and Georgina Burns too, Quite a bit of experience in growing garlic, and you know she's a bit of a live wire, and uh, so she's been good at the marketing as well. Quite good from an advisory point of view as far as growing the garlic, and knows all the ins and outs. A newer member, Wendy Hutton, who comes over from Gundaroo, a bit of a live wire as, as well. And so we've got a bit of enthusiasm there, and it's a good bunch of people. I'd just like to see a bit more reward in life that um, get a bigger volume to handle. You know, I mean. We spend a lot of time at meetings and that sort of thing for a relatively small amount of garlic, but I just see the potential there for it to go. So I'm pretty keen to sort of broaden the prospects, growing more in the district, and I'd certainly like to grow more myself. So you're putting a call out, Phil, if there's anyone that listens to this podcast from Braidwood area? Yeah. And they want to grow garlic, come and talk to Southern you. Time. Yeah, no, no, sure. <laughs> no, I really believe that. It's quite rewarding and, um, you know, from a financial point of view and a nice challenge. Had a lot of work. It's not too much work. It's also good for your back, isn't it, Phil? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's really good for your back. Better than shearing, though, Dave. Oh, (laughs) yeah, shearing. That's right. Shearing's a... That's a... I don't know. I'm not bad (laughs) Not Uh, yet. All right. So let me get the picture. Let me get the picture right. You... You've got the land care funds and you've been able to do some work there to build that. You were then successful with farming together funds. 
And in that process, you had to very quickly establish a cooperative. You've now got this grant to help develop your business plan. What did that kind of look like? And I guess the business plan I'm imagining would just be one aspect of this group that you're trying to grow and develop. What's happening as we're moving forward through this from the Farming Together grant onwards? I, for, for example, I do remember reading about selling out the first season in garlic and getting a really good price for your garlic in the first or second season. Yeah, tell us a bit about the journey from there. I'll leave that to you, Dave. I was just about to say the same thing <laughs> uh, to you. So the co-op set up with this specific, some specific rules about membership in terms of the way we were growing. So we're organic growers. We don't allow any um, synthetic fertilizer or fertilizers or um, chemicals as part of that growing process. And that that gives us, I guess, some some marketing advantage in terms of pricing particularly for uh, one of our clients or a couple of our clients who are buying the garlic and turn it into, turning it into black garlic. It's a value-added process involving cooking for long periods. A bit of a black art, as far as I can make out. They were very keen to have, for want of a better word, clean garlic before they started cooking it, dehydrating it. So we were able to sell members' garlic, those who wanted to sell via the cart, for substantially more than they'd have got at a wholesale price even if they could have sold relatively small amounts at a wholesale price. And from a buyer's point of view, they've also just got one, one point of contact. They didn't have to phone 23 of us to, to get a substantial sum. Both years we've had a reasonable harvest too, and to sell on, we've been able to sell it quite quickly. As Phil said, we could, I'm sure we could sell a lot more. The impact of COVID 2019-20 season was a bit of an outlier, I guess. I'm hoping it's a bit of an outlier given that we had a, it started with a drought, which obviously impacted all of the members and pretty much everybody who's trying to grab anything. Then we had the fires. Quite a lot of the members had fire damage, either losing crops or sheds or properties. Then we had, they, those, <laughs> we had some floods, which affected people having their crop literally washed away overnight a couple of times. And then they had COVID. So part of our business plan was to try and add some, uh, some value add on, on the actual garlic, processing it for a restaurant market. Those plans were just coming to fruition pretty much when, when lockdown happened. So that's caused some consternation and things. those things just haven't returned to normal at this stage. Um, we just invested in a nice new machine to help us with that processing. But um, hopefully that will come back when and if things return to Whatever normal is. normal is. Is that a co-op piece of equipment that's been purchased? Yes, it is, yeah. It was a commercial a commercial scale or a commercial quality and scale and garlic peeler. Peeling garlic isn't much fun once you get past the second clove. So once you start talking about kilos of it, you need mechanical. You need a, a good machine as well, mm, otherwise it smashes sounds it. Sounds like fun. <laughs> messy. In relation to what you've gone through this year with COVID and floods and fires and drought, has being a member of the co-op offered any benefit for members during that time? Well, not from that point of view. I don't know whether you mean from a social point of view or whatever, but, um, you know, it's business as usual, really, and, I mean, it's just part of life in the, in the country. You know, you're growing garlic, that's one aspect, and whatever else you're doing is another. Yeah, I mean, being a... 
quote an outsider to this community until relatively recently, it's been quite an eye-opener about how the community comes together under adversity. I mean, from, as Phil said, from the garlic grain point of view, I mean, it's, it's been interesting and potentially helpful, I guess, for um, <laughs> to phone, phone up your neighbours or your other members and say, how's your garlic? And they say, oh, it's on fire or got burnt yesterday or washed away and you could try and sympathise. But as a, as a bigger community, I mean, yeah, that's uh, everyone came, has come together. And curiously enough, it's probably been good for the community to have some of these challenges. It's highlighted how important community is. Absolutely. Even if you use it on the smaller scale of of when you were almost pushed into forming a cooperative in those times of kind of stress or unexpected turbulence, something that kind of bonds people together even even stronger. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a great thing. Any any group, whether it's a co op or a, a tennis association, you know, it's a great bonding thing really. And bravely, there's quite a few people like Dave have moved in here in the last 20 years, I suppose, but even more so in the last five. And it's a great way to get to know people. I'm not a Facebook or anything like that sort of user. Actually, look at people eye to eye and that sort of thing, I think, is a much more um, appealing way of getting to know people. End up with a common interest like growing garlic, that's great. Especially in a small community, they're very always, there's heaps. I don't know how many committees there are around Bravely, there's hundreds of them. You'll see the same old faces on a lot of them, but no, it's good from a social point of view, that's all. Absolutely. It's, it's people that are the glue that binds, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And at the group, the co-op covers uh, the New South Wales Southern Tablelands area. So whilst I guess the majority of the members are in and around the Braywood, we have some, some who are a little bit further away, as Bill mentioned, Gundaroo. Other members back towards camera. So how, how do you how do you run the co-op in terms of you've obviously got distributed membership by the sounds of it? Are you, are you do uh, regular meetings online or how do you how do you coordinate the getting together? Usually by email. I mean we have a committee which meets monthly. Uh, we've got a, a newsletter that uh, Wendy Hutton puts out every month to keep people in touch and you know just trying to keep get an idea of how much how people's crops are going. So we've got a bit of a forecast as to what we've got to um, to sell when the time comes and that sort of thing. There's a reasonable response to that. You know, it's a bit frustrating at times. You know, you don't really know how people are going. They're not want to get too involved that way, you know. So we're flying in the dark a lot of the time. But so, And I don't know what to do about that. The avenues are there for them to know what, what we're up to as a committee. We're always keen to get information from them has had their crops going, how much they might have, that sort of thing, and to offer advice too. Like we're having a platting workshop on Sunday, which will interest the Sam to turn up for that. As I say, it's just trying to attract people to get involved a bit more. I'm kind of hoping my hair's going to be long enough by the time I get there. <laughs> I was thinking I did a weaving workshop last uh, weekend. I just popped down for a platting workshop this weekend. Oh. <laughs> You could you could already be our expert. <laughs> I think the the question you asked is sort of yeah raise one of one of the challenges. I guess it's probably the same in any organisation or any business. Communication is quite challenging for members, even for a small group, for a multitude of reasons. I think it isn't. It's why it's difficult to address because it isn't it isn't a specific reason. We have a more mature demographic to our members, so they don't spend twenty four seven playing with social media and stuff like that. It's 
some of the communication tools that we were using, like social media tools, were not ideal for everybody. Being rural, we don't also, quite a few of the members don't actually have a very good um, internet access, even mobile access, even though we're literally only 100 k's from the nation's capital, still can be a bit flaky, like most rural areas, I guess. And the co-op members also primarily are not growing garlic for their, their primary source of income. So it's not necessarily front of mind all the time. They've got other responsibilities and other things they need to attend to first. And of course, it's farming. So one week you think, my crop's lovely. And the next week you discover the hailstorm has put it on the ground or it's oh, been a flood and it's washed away, etc. So, so there's some, yeah, there's quite a few challenges there for, for trying to manage that uh, interaction. We do our best. And having somebody who's good with the technology is also quite key. All of what you're saying, Dave, is really resonating. For example, we've seen that if you, if you really want to drive initiatives forward quickly and strongly, then the need has to be there. There has to be an absolute need. If it's something that's nice to do or that it does solve a problem but isn't essential, it often takes a little bit longer to, to move forward. So I think because, you know, a lot of the growers, it may not be their primary source of income or dependent on that source of income, it doesn't necessarily have the same kind of speed and drive as something that was going to put food on the table for the family. Yeah, that's absolutely, that's absolutely And I right. think the other thing that I'm hearing as well is we've seen communication as really important with the groups that we've spoken to, but the different ways and shapes and forms that take. So for some groups, they have spoken about using WhatsApp and they didn't, don't know where they would be without using something like WhatsApp. And then for other uh, grower groups, larger grower groups that I've spoken to in more remote areas, the mail-out newsletter is something that the farmers look forward to receiving in the letterbox every month. And the only other way to communicate outside of that is pretty much events, so holding events and getting everybody to come together on that day. So um, I just think it's very interesting to see communications, yeah, essential, but the, the different ways in which people engage with their members is so different. you just got to find what works. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I'm a bit old-fashioned. I reckon the only real positive way of keeping in touch is don't go and say visit all the members, but phone calls, at least they've got to talk to you when you phone them, and um, it's a bit more personal, and, you know, that way you can sort of keep on top of it, which is pretty onerous, you know, even though we've only got 25 members. At least, bang, you know, send out a survey and get 10 responses out of 25, you know, you're, in, you're a bit in the dark, so... Phone call at least. You, someone had the time to do that. I think it's the only way. And as you say, the newsletters a good way to say, "Well, look, we're here and we're doing this and we're doing that." Not everyone looks at the, the web page or anything like that. I think the more personal the contact, better everyone would be. But it's a time thing, sure. Absolutely. Bill said, "I think we have we've certainly tried all three of those variations with some phone calls, events when either training events or harvesting events, planting events coming up, uh, the newsletter. So the other aspect of that, I think, a technology end where where some of the administrative tasks, if you can get more in one place, using whatever some kind of collaboration tool or something that people can all use for things like the membership information and the financials and." Uh, and who's growing what, that, that, the kind of production end, if you can get them all in the same place, 
or could get more in the same place, that would help quite a lot. It saves saves a lot of duplication of effort or double handling of information and Chinese whispers. And we still, I think we're still a bit challenged in that area. We haven't quite figured out where all this information should live. There is definitely, definitely platforms out there if you can find the time to investigate them and, and choose one. There's a cost element to that as well. We're not a big business. We can't afford expensive software programs. Yeah, I think a lot of people would resonate with that. A question that I often ask is, looking at now, what do you wish you had known before you started on this journey? Oh, look, everything's a journey, isn't it? You know, it doesn't matter what you put your finger into, it's a journey. And uh, sometimes you can get burnt, and other times you get off scot-free, you know. And, uh, no, it's a challenge, you know, from a committee point of view. But um, if you believe in what, what you're into, you just ride the waves and try and go forward and, try, and hopefully you drag a few people with you. A lot of committees, it, it comes down to a few drivers, you know, you might have a committee of 30 people, but if it wasn't for the two or three Whipcrackers got nothing. And I've noticed that in a lot of uh, situations. It's a bit like being the president or the prime minister, you know. So we all need whipcrackers. Is that what you're saying? Oh well, I mean, a bit of enthusiasm for more. But as I say, it usually comes down to two or three or four uh, in any committee I've ever been on. Really, but just keep it together. Yeah, the rest follow out of loyalty and that sort of thing. But not everyone's up for the shining light. Keep clicking the switch. Yeah, there's undoubtedly a lot of hidden, hidden maybe the wrong word, but a lot of talent within pretty much, I guess, within any of these organisations. It's just a question of um, having somebody who's skilled enough to tap into it and encourage people to join in. There'll always, always be the two or three or four, like Phil says, who are, that's what they're good at, the social interaction. They like being with people. They like being in contact with people. They don't mind asking people to do things or corralling them into, into activities. And there's lots of lots of other people who've got other skills. How do you tap um, into those? How do you find find those out? I always find that really interesting. So you, I, I agree with you. You see these natural kind of leaders, which are the ones that drive the project forward. They do a lot of the groundwork. But then there, I reckon there are also a lot of untapped skills. And how do you, especially when you're starting something, to to know what's out there and how to make the most of it? Well, I think um, even big corporations. That's They've got personnel officers who look for that sort of thing, you know, and, I mean, how you do it on a small scale, it's just by intuition. You find out someone's good at this or good at that and you egg them on, you know, that's all, drag them in, drag them forward, whatever. But uh, a lot of people don't scot about their skills or want to lay back about it, so you have to drag them out sometimes. Yeah. Especially farmers, I think. Like when I ask you what skills you had, Phil, you were quite shy in coming forward with that. Well, you can be a jack of all trades and master of none, not probably that, but <laughs> I enjoy what I do. But, um, no, people, they get quite honoured when you ask them to share their knowledge and that sort of thing, but they don't rush out and boast about what they can do. You have to draw it out, so you've got to have a bit of inside information to know what their talents are and uh, find a way of drawing it out nicely without cracking wits. Yeah, the, the people with the personnel skills are always very valuable we, we kind of agreed way back at the beginning because because it's a co-op one thing we don't we don't have a quote leader as such it's you know the members are responsible for the co-op whilst we have a board who provide general direction we were quite clear that there isn't a ceo nobody's driving towards a a particular goal 
we have some broad aims and um and then within the co-op we have a, a kind of a respectful interact interaction and, and hopefully a relatively open and honest communication about how we're going i mean it's like it's all all personal stuff is can be challenging but i think by and large we, we're kind of navigating through we try not to take it too seriously as well and it's better if i can take the mickey out of occasionally. i can see there's a bit of a dynamic there i like that dynamic yeah no i am um, i mean i've been a, an agent since 1975 but um people's skills are pretty important you know in any game really and uh, everyone's different so you can't treat everyone the same yeah they handle people differently too you know it's a pretty um valuable asset if you can work out how to work people without upsetting them i think that applies with any committee or any organization really you know you get the best out of people if you handle them right garlic growers is no different to that either absolutely yeah and you know we've seen that collaboration I guess the idea of collaboration is that you're all working towards this greater, broader vision. But the wonderful thing about collaboration is that you're actually bringing together a whole lot of different people who potentially come from different backgrounds and have different opinions and and feelings and ideas about things. And in that process, there's always going to be some kind of conflict. And the idea is with that, with working together, that you can understand that the idea is not to find or all agree on the same thing but actually collectively find a way forward mm-hmm. while you still may think differently about a situation. And I'm w- wondering what kind of processes through your experience that, is, that you've developed to navigate this difference of opinion in, a, in your cooperative. Well, uh, the way I see it, we're virtually a marketing group, so, you know, People grow the garlic, we can sell it for them. Our role is, is there and it's more the more stuff we've got to sell, the more rewarding it is. And hopefully we can draw people in from the fact that we do a good job that way. You know, a bit of uh, cooperation. So we know what we've got to sell. You know, forecasting is a big thing. No point in rolling up with a 10-ton crop and we're only expecting two ton and wondering what the hell we're going to do with it. As I say, a bit more interaction between the members would be great. But apart from that, I think we're doing our job, getting them a good price and... As Dave said, you know, some people like going to market and that sort of thing, but not everyone's got the time to do that. If that was the case, every beef farmer would be going out with his truck full of meat to all the markets every weekend, and no one's got that time. So some people like it, others aren't, aren't into it. I think we're doing our job all right. I'm just interested because even, obviously, I'm hearing that, you know, some some of the group are interested in selling market, at markets, some of the groups are in, interested in marketing the product a different way. So how does the co-op go about making these decisions, what's the process for the decision-making that you you go through to work out what you're going to do as a collective? Well, we sort of got to rely on forecasting to be things. So if you knew that people are going to have so many kilos of garlic and they're going to sell it for the co-op, that's the most important thing we want. If they want to sell it themselves, that's fine. Go for it. But so we, we want to be able to sell what what we've contracted to sell, I suppose, for one of them terms. As to how much there is. I think the nature of this, the nature of the co-op, because it's it's more a collaborative venture than a primary aim, means that the way that we deal with those particular challenges of who wants to do go about things certain ways is those who are most proactive within the co-op tend to pick up. You decide that the co-op, or you want to be selling at a, a market, and you need to make sure you're going to have enough stuff. Then it kind of it's like congratulations, you've you've got a job. You can that's what you want to do then 
take on some responsibility for doing that. So, so where where the co-op heads is is largely, I think, within within the overall objectives dictated by who's willing to put the time and effort into into what they want to do. Um, that makes a lot of sense. That would be my response to that. If we had a um, a full time paid position who who we could set some um, objectives for, be it finding a market or then that would be a different story. But for the organisation we are at the moment, we're largely head where those, those who are most those engaged. Who, those who've got most time to put in. Sounds like those people who have the most time to put in to drive something. Uh, I'm not sure it's about the most time. It's about those who are willing to make the most time to put in. Yep. Yeah, very true. I mean, it's often the case that you, um, you get the busy person to, you ask the busy person to do it because, you know, they will do it, you know, some people think, oh, I'll do it tomorrow. We all know the tale about if you want something doing, yeah. ask yeah. a busy person. Uh, Absolutely. So ask, I, that's why I never get asked to do anything. <laughs> Absolutely. Focus. Yeah. Bit of focus. It's all about relationships. How do you make it work with different personalities and egos? <laughs> no one's written a book about that at all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, we've had our ups and downs from a personality point of view and but we're over that now and, yeah, you just got to take off or butt up or whatever. You'll always get someone antagonistic in some way and you just got to wear them all, get rid of them. Pretty hard to do. People skills are pretty important. It, it's so funny, say, because you say it's um, hard to do, but every, every group seems to have that kind of d- dynamic at some point in their process oh. and... The people dynamic, it always comes back, you know, and how, do, how can we learn from each other to, to navigate that in a, in a way that's respectful and that, that do, do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's always the same challenge. It's, uh, we have to, everybody likes to think they're working with a group of grown-ups, so we all have to behave like grown-ups. We specifically laid out with our, certainly our, our board meetings that we'd have, a, we'd have a basic principle of respectful interaction and open and honest communication. Yeah, you have to. I guess at some stage you have to. You have to sort of stand back before you get too excited and just think other people's views are going to be different to yours. It doesn't mean you're right or they're right or you're wrong. You've just got to try and go with the flow and find a, find some common ground. And generally speaking, we've been able yeah, to do that. Fantastic. So, tips for others who are who would be going through similar, you know, that challenging point where the people dynamics are, are challenging. What what would you say as advice or recommendations? Well, I like meeting procedures. I mean, Sam, we were having trouble early in the piece with Sam Burns. Well, I don't know where it came from, but he had a list of proper meeting procedures, you know. If someone wasn't playing by the rules, you know, there was something there to, to respond to. That's right. Some, some structure, a structure around the interactions helps quite a lot. If you, can find a, if you can find your people person, stroke persons, who can mediate, because you, you always need somebody who's going to sit in the middle really that's that's part of the key so that no particular parties feel ostracized or ganged up or not being listened to you you need to have someone be able to mediate that like back to the same same thing we were talking about earlier people skills are important and and you can almost always find some common ground if your objectives are clear reasonably clear then that comes into the same the same form as having some proper procedures if you know what you're trying to achieve then whilst there may be different routes to discuss you can kind of all head in the same roughly the same direction the 
the sheep can be herded. So Lee, I think also sometimes, I don't know if you had this experience, but I've seen a group that worked really effectively together that had this underlying set of six values by which they operated. And every time they came to a, a head disagreement, they would always come back to those underpinning values in terms of their decision-making together. And that worked yep, really I think well. That's, that would be good, yeah. Mm. You can put whatever fires out by going, going back to some common ground or some, mm. some common... It's easy to get carried away in the heat at the moment or feel particularly... And I think that's where something. things can get stuck and things can unravel really quickly or at the right dynamics, things can progress so fast so that the opportunities to learn from others' experiences can be really invaluable. Very true. On how to, how to navigate that. Yeah, I'd agree. Maybe we've sort of talked about this before, but what advice would you give someone wanting to set up a cooperative I think you've got to have a, a, a pretty strong goal, you know, that will get people fired up, you know. You don't want to go half-baked, you know. You want to have a bit of an idea of where you're going to head or would like to head before you go. And, I mean, the garlic thing is a prime example. I mean, I think it's a great idea. Otherwise, I wouldn't, wouldn't have said yes to the chairman. But um, you've got to have enthusiasm to get something going. And it's got to have potential. Whether it's a tennis club, you're going to have, enough people there to pay a competition, you know, it's no point having a tennis club with four members. Uh, and like the garlic, you know, I mean, that's one of my frustrations, you know, we're talking probably a couple of tonne of garlic at the most at the moment, you know, where so I think we should be aiming for 10 tonnes, you know, because the market's there. You know, Australia's used 13,000 tonnes of stuff every year and most of them come from China or elsewhere. So it's not as though it's going to die out. More people are eating garlic health reasons and the flavour and that sort of thing these days and never did, you know, so it's a growing market as well as a, already a huge market. So, so you've got to have a good goal or a good theme. You've got to have the enthusiasm there to kick it off too. So I'm hearing enthusiasm, goal, good people and there are, and a decent amount of people and expert advice. Yep, yep. Is that about sum it up? I think so. I think if you can find some framework i mean the thing i often come back to is related to the holistic management framework beginning about goal setting the name of which completely escapes me for the moment there's an area at the beginning which underlines all that you do there afterwards you've got to decide what it is you're really trying to do that can actually be quite a challenging task maybe several layers lower down than what you think it is that you're trying the so to do. what the so what the so what yeah. Oh, why? Yeah. So why are we? Why do we? Why do we? Why do we? Ah, oh, yes. Right. So that's actually what we want to do. Then you can build from there. And and if you're going to set up an organisation, it unfortunately you need at least three key skills. I think within the organisation, you need someone who's going to be finance orientated. You need someone who's going to be marketing and sales orientated. And generally, you need someone who's going to be production i mean certainly if you're, if you're farming and well, producing anything and that i guess that even relates to uh, intangibles you need somebody who's, who's driving that production they all need to be pretty closely linked up in some and the people way. person yes i guess that's true actually yeah, i maybe have missed out a person there there's a piece people person you can get involved absolutely so if you can't find some of those then one of those persons in your group then you might want to look externally before you get too far yeah. down the process good good advice so what's in store for the co-op looking ahead it sounds like there's a good market there's a great opportunity yeah as i say just encouraging more people to uh, to grow it or growing the ones that are growing to grow more and i mean like any any crop or 
anything. It's not all beer and skittles. You know, a lot of people start cafes and that. You know, go. I think they're good cooked. You know, but I mean, there's a lot more to being a restaurateur than being just a good cook. You know, my personal goal would be to sell on ten tons of the growers every year. Sky's the limit. I think it's a goal. I like the vision. Yeah. Dave, does that resonate with you? Uh, yeah, I think I think so. I think in terms of the co-op moving forward, it's about maintaining a, uh, an active membership of ensuring that the co-op actually is aligned with their goals or they're aligned, well, they're aligned with their goals since the, co-op, the members own the co-op. Certainly being able to grow more and, and sell it in, you know, sensible size blocks. I mean, that that's what personally appeals to me because of the time issues, although I, I don't mind the odd market stall. Yeah, I think trying to trying to grow more. And my final question to you both, and I ask this of all my guests, is what have you learnt that has surprised you the most about farming together? I'm, I'm old enough that nothing surprises me anymore, man. <laughs> I have never had that response. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's a challenge, you know, and you can make it a stressful challenge or just a small hurdle, you know, I mean, it's just got to go with the flow a little bit if you feel um that uh, you're on the right track well you stick with it you know not every road smooth you just got to go with it you know if you don't agree with it we shouldn't be there anyway as they personalities always come into it you know when you've got a committee or something in some respects i'm a grateful grateful every one man committee you can make a decision in two minutes and have a a two-minute meeting and you'll be right 50% of the time, wrong 50% of the time. Or you can have a committee and spend three hours doing the same bloody thing. This is Donald yeah, Trump. This is Donald Trump. <laughs> that's why I avoided the AGM. I, I, I forgot about the AGM, Amanda, so I didn't turn up and hoped I'd get the sack, but uh, it didn't work. <laughs> it backfired. Oh, yeah, yeah. Voted back in. <laughs> I was preoccupied cheering and forgot all about it. So. But anyhow, it didn't work. So I'm still here. <laughs> Can't get rid of you that easily. No. Um, what about you, Dave? To be honest, the thing that surprised me most is how community-minded people are in terms of information. If you try to grow something from, <laughs> if I try to grow something from without any knowledge, regardless of what you can read or look at on the internet, then I probably still wouldn't be in the garlic co-op. So all that information has come to me, um, I'll say free, I mean, <laughs> remember and stuff like that. But it's people's, yeah, people are very um, generous with their time and information. And it's supportive, really. You know, when we have our group meetings or sort of group uh, get-togethers to do stuff, some of the work's a bit not necessarily all that enjoyable in the sunshine. But when you've got a group of people together, you can talk about stuff. So farming together, it's just, it's better to do things yeah. in a community. By and large. Except if your name's Phil and you want to make all the decisions on your own. <laughs> I think it's just the decision-making he doesn't. He wants to do by himself. He's happy yeah, to do I everything else in the community. Yeah, I think you're actually a bit of a secret people person, Phil. I, I, I enjoy interaction with people. I, I like being on my own too, but a uh, broad range of people here. And most of them like to share their, their talents. So. And people are prepared to get their hands dirty and grow garlic. That would be even better. We'll put a little link for you in the show notes, Phil, so Thank we you. can promote. Come and join the co-op. Yeah, why not? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> grow garlic. garlic. Good for you. Excellent for you. That's right. Health benefits. That's a win-win-win. 
For more tools and resources to help you work collaboratively, head to farmingtogether.com.au or join the conversation on the Farming Together Programs Facebook page. You're listening to the Farming Together Podcast.